The Defense Department is in the midst of an acquisition program for a new fighter jet. Actually, it's an extensively modified version of an old warhorse, the F-15, now known as the F-15EX. My next guest says that the plane might be mostly new, but the Air Force is making some old mistakes in buying it. Dan Grazier is military fellow with the Project on Government Oversight, and he joins me now. Dan, good to have you back. Hey, good morning, Tom. It's great to be here. All right, so the F-15EX, what is it exactly? And then we'll get into what mistakes you think they're making in how they're acquiring it. Sure. So the F-15EX is the latest generation version of the proven inventable F-15 fighter. You know, first started development in the 1960s, it's largely procured in the 1970s and 80s, uh, and has been continually upgraded and modified over the years. And so the F-15EX is just the, the latest version of the aircraft. It's what the Air Force is calling a fourth gen plus aircraft. All right. And as we know, these major overhauls are almost all new, except for maybe the shell. And so that means that they have to treat it as new. But it sounds like they're assuming a lot in the way they're buying it. What is the acquisition plan? And we'll start there. What are they doing? So Pentagon leaders over the last 15, 20 years or so have come up with varying schemes to avoid the major defense acquisition process. Like that's the the top tier major defense programs like the F-35 and the, the other key marquee weapons programs are required under that. But what Pentagon leaders have been doing is they've come up with a whole series of schemes to avoid the MDAP process, to avoid a lot of the oversight steps and reviews that go along with them. So the F-15EX is being dubbed a middle-tier acquisition program, and that provides the Air Force the justification, I suppose, to avoid a lot of those usual overstep functions. So their assumption is that we've been buying this thing since the 1960s. We can speed it up for the EX version? Right. That's the justification that they're giving. But the F-15EX program does meet the legal threshold to be a major defense acquisition program. So federal law mandates that any program that has a research, development, test, and evaluation anticipated cost of more than $525 million is a major defense acquisition program. And the program just in the F-15EX program, just in FY 2020 and 2021, the research development test evaluation costs are almost $600 million. Yeah, so real money there. And we should point out, too, that you worked on this project with someone formerly in the Pentagon who knows all about RTD&E. Right. So this specific piece was primarily drafted by Mr. Tom Christie, who was the director of operational test and evaluation in the early 2000s during the the first term of the George W. Bush administration. Got it. When they were still buying F-15s back then, too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And they were just yeah, they were just starting the uh, the F-35 program at that point. And just briefly, what does the EX do that the older ones don't do? The F-15EX is going to have an updated suite of defensive and offensive combat systems. So it's designed to allow the F-15, one, the program to continue flying on, you know, for another couple of decades, but also to deal with a lot of the modern enemy air defense systems. Got it. We're speaking with Dan Grazier, military fellow with the Project on Government Oversight. And the report says that the development tests are done by engineering test pilots on behalf of the developer, that would be Boeing, to uncover any deficiencies. Their aims are often incompatible with operational testing, which is done on behalf of the combat user. So it sounds like there's a conflict of interest maybe built into the way they're going about this parallel of testing and development. Yeah, uh, very much so. There are two distinct testing processes that need to happen with each weapon system as it's going through the acquisition process. So developmental testing 
they're essentially laboratory tests and they're to make sure that the contractor delivered a product that meets the contract specifications. So if one of the contract specifications was to make sure that the aircraft could achieve Mach 1.8, then developmental test pilots are going to fly the plane up to that speed and you know, mark on their checklist that it can achieve that speed. You know, same thing with a flight ceiling. It's supposed to fly to 40,000 feet. They're going to fly it up to 40,000 feet, but they're very kind of rigid, you know, checklist type items that a test pilot flies. Now, operational testing, you take the production representative article. So a product that has been fully developed and is ready to go into production. And you give that in the hands of actual real fighter pilots in the case of a plane. And then they take it up and they fly it around the way they would fly it in combat to make sure that it's actually effective. So it goes far beyond just meeting basic contract specifications. But then they're also, you know, operational testing, they're, they're testing two things. They're making sure that, yes, the fighter pilots can fly it the way that it needs to be flown in combat. So they're checking for operational effectiveness. But then they're also checking for operational suitability. So they want to make sure that this product actually works in the hands of all the operators. So in the case of a plane, not just in the hands of the pilots, but also in the hands of the maintainers. You know, because, uh, you know, anybody who's ever done any work on a car uh, has, has probably cursed an engineer at some point when, you know, a bolt is right up against the firewall and you can't get the wrench on it. Well, those are the kind of things that they're checking in operational testing just to make sure that you can swap out an engine properly and in the field that they can, you know, check all the POLs, the patrol oil sure. and lubricants the right way. Yeah. So it's very different processes and they're distinct. And when they're done together, then the lines are blurred. And it actually, our, our concern is uh, that it's going to water down independent operational testing. Right. So that to use your example, if it can reach Mach 1.8 in the vendor test, what a operational pilot would do is, well, can it go that fast for more than 10 feet and change directions and then fire a weapon at that speed or something? And then when it lands, you won't find three things warped out of shape because it went that fast for 50 miles instead of 10 feet. Right. It's an evolved process. And our concern is that, well, so the Office of Director of Operational Test and Evaluation was created in 1983, and it was created over very vigorous objections of the defense industry and certain service leaders, uh, many of whom went on to work for the defense industry because they wanted to be able to basically write their own rules and be able to say whatever they wanted about the performance of these weapons. And so Congress created this office because they wanted to make sure that they were getting independent review of the effectiveness and suitability of these systems. And, you know, ever since the office was created in 1983, there have been efforts to either do away with the office, do away with the reports or water down the process. And combining developmental testing and operational testing is just one of the latest efforts to water down independent operational testing. All right. So then the consequences then could be that what? That the troops, the flyers, the Air Force members would receive something that is not fully ready for operational combat? Right. Or it just doesn't work. And let's go to the most recent example, the F-35 program. It's one where, you know, because of concurrency, because we started buying hundreds of F-35s before the operational testing process has been completed, and it's still not complete, and we don't even have a date when F-35 uh, operational testing will be complete, you end up buying hundreds of aircraft with 
serious design flaws. And uh, you know, a really good example just of the operational suitability issue, the autonomic logistics information system for the F-35 program, it's a key part of the whole program. And the, the train had left the station a long time before people realized that that aspect of the program didn't work. And so now we have to spend even more money to develop a new system and try to make it backwards compatible with all the aircraft that have already been purchased. Yeah, they call that Alice in Wonderland, is what I've heard, <laughs> with respect right. to that particular system. All right, so this is the road that they're on, though, for the F-15EX, and it looks like they're just going to go ahead with the plan as they have it. Yeah, they're pushing forward the plan as, as it is. We're trying to raise awareness of this because it's a, it's a dangerous precedent. With the F-15 program, we are at least dealing with a a solid foundation because the F-15 is a proven system. Now, a lot of this, the subsystems that are going to be included in this uh, have yet to be designed and have yet to be incorporated in the design, which further weakens the operational testing plan that they have now because they're going to conduct operational tests with an underdeveloped system. But we're really looking forward to future programs because we now have the B-21 program coming up you know, that's going to start flying before too long, and it's going to have to go into operational testing and you know, we're already talking about the next generation air dominance program. So there's new systems on the horizon, and it's important to make sure that independent operational testing is protected and it goes forward because if it's not, we're going to end up with more F-35 like fiascos. Dan Grazier is a military fellow with the Project on Government Oversight. As always, thanks so much. Hey, Tom, it's my pleasure to be here. We'll post this interview along with a link to this analysis at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. 
And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but... Uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you use to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell 
sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gain the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Pop quiz, what can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.